talking to some of the best names in contemporary Christian music. This is the Hope FM Artist Interview. And welcome to this week's episode of the Artist Interview podcast from Hope FM, also on our partner stations worldwide. And I'm very pleased to say that we've got someone who's been on the station before with us uh, here. And I really, really respect uh, these guys. The music they produce is something quite special. Obviously, we spend a lot of time in Nashville and there are some very, very talented guys. But actually, the last album that these guys made, just it was outstanding. It was something that I went, this is a sound that is different. And it was just brilliant. Uh, in fact, I say it was brilliant. That leads me nicely in because this band is called The Brilliance. And before we meet David Gungle, uh, let's play this first track. And it's called See the Love. That was See the Love by The Brilliance. Hey, David, how are you doing? I'm good, Gordon. Thank you so much for having me on. Welcome back uh, to Hope FM. It's great to have you. Now, you're not in Nashville. Where where are you, sir? No, so I actually, uh, we are a band that is actually based in New York and Paris. So I live in New York. I've lived in New York the last um, eight years. And John has lived in Paris the last two years. So the last time I saw you, I was in... um, I was in London with John and he was just about to move to Paris. But yeah, we are we are based uh on two different continents, but we uh but we have been friends since childbirth. Our dads were actually in a wedding band together way back in the 1970s. And John and I grew up in central Wisconsin and then uh I ended up uh we went to college in western Michigan and then uh our lives have been apart since then. However, we continued to make music together. Well, that is actually pretty cool. I didn't realize that you were on separate continents. So, see, your surname is Gungor, so David Gungor. Uh, yeah. John's surname, how do I pronounce that? Is John Arndt. John Arndt. And John is an amazing composer as well as a pianist and uh, also sometimes will sing on the records. I try to always get him to sing, but he doesn't like to sing often. But, you know, he's, he does it. Though, okay. So with a little bit of a nudge, he does. So Yeah, with a little bit of a nudge. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about your faith journey? So your, your, your dad was in a wedding band, which sounds like quite fun. Well, yeah. So our dads actually, they were in a wedding band, but then actually they were, um, my dad grew up in, uh, he's got a wild story, but he was, um, he was born in New York and then uh, got adopted by a, by a Muslim man, a doctor, and his last name was Gunger. And then it ended up, he married my uh, grandmother and they had, she had had three kids and then they ended up having three more kids together. So my dad grew up in a big family. They were, uh, he grew up uh, Catholic. And then in kind of the Jesus movement in the US in the late 60s, early 70s, um, that's when he was in that wedding band. They ended up uh, having kind of like a radical conversion, kind of charismatic experience 
where um, my mother and my father ended up meeting through kind of the Jesus movement, and they uh, then went on to become pastors. Were they were they hippies? They were a hundred percent hippies. My dad had a large afro, and my mom had hair well below the waist. You know, she they were they were total Jesus hippies. Pretty cool. Um, and then uh, and then I grew up a pastor's kid, and have had. Uh, Pentecostal charismatic roots. And then my dad ended up joining uh, the Anglican way and is uh, a part of a thing called the charismatic Episcopal church here in, uh, in the United States, the CEEC. And uh, he is now a Bishop in that. So I have had a wild from a, a growing up, I've had a very diverse uh, type of faith experience. Um, and then personally, I, I, I work at a church here in New York city where I'm a pastor and, uh, as well as help lead uh, a peacemaking organization called Telos, where I'm the director of partnerships, where we lead different peacemaking pilgrimages all around the world. We go to Israel and Palestine. We go to uh, the American South. We go to Ireland and Northern Ireland. We also go to South Africa and we learn from peacemakers on the ground with our partners. Wow. Um, and so I've been, I, my wife is a spiritual director and a, as well as a pastor. So uh, yeah, my faith journey is we can start wherever you'd like, but I grew up a PK and then, um, you know, I, I would like to Just say to you grew up a PK. What do you, Oh yes. I'm so sorry. The, 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 uh, slang in America for pastor's kid, oh, I was yes. a preacher's kid. Oh yeah. So, you know, you have your season of, of rebellion in junior high and high school where you don't, you know, you're in church all the time. Um, but I ended up, uh, I, had a, I had a good family and a good childhood um, and lots of different seasons. But if you, if, you know, for the tradition that I grew up in, for those who are familiar um, with the faith traditions where you have, uh, it would be called like a threefold path of, of faith or an imagination of that. So if I was going to use like a, 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 a method or a methodology in which I would talk about that, um, you could say th something like, um, in the Jewish tradition, purification, illumination, union, which would be these three paths. And in a modern American context, we might say things like construct, deconstruct, reconstruct, or in uh, you know if you were in um, if if you were talking about literature, you'd say thesis, antithesis, synthesis. So for me, there were seasons, you know, where if, if, if I'm talking to a Jewish friend, you might say, when you're a child and you want to go in the wisdom tradition, teach your kids the Proverbs because you can build on that wisdom. And then when they're in their teenage years, have them read Ecclesiastes. And it's a different type of wisdom. So if you'd go from this idea from a construction to kind of like a, a, a deconstruction of like, you know, in, in Ecclesiastes, they say everything is meaningless. Or they talk about meaningless. different yeah. types of what, yeah, you read, you read it and it's a, it's really a, uh, a type of, um, a type of wisdom where uh, you kind of deal with existentialism in a, in a way. And then within that faith tradition, you'd say, well, the third path is, uh, union, which would be if you were an adult, you can then read like the Song of Solomon for wisdom, meaning like you you are able to handle the allegory of love. You're able to handle these different things that, that seem kind of R-rated uh, as far as the Bible goes, if you were just going to read it. But they're, they're all just traditions of wisdom for certain times and certain seasons. 
And each season is not against one another. It's actually a part of the entire story. And so I have had seasons um, which look like really building on my faith and really having this moment of what um, wisdom can look like from a, a part of, if you would, like falling in, in love with the notion and the idea of God is love and Christendom and my walk of faith. And then I have had seasons of totally tearing it apart and figuring out like, well, is the church, you know, if we say this, but then I see certain things and kind of feeling like in a, in a certain way, um, trying to wrestle with different things I proclaim or confess and then going, but do I really believe that? Do I really, you know, and, and that wrestling through that. And then finally, uh, the goal is, and it's not a goal as in, you know, you just arrive here, but it's through wisdom. You start to see like, oh, the, both of these things actually really matter. So there are seasons of faith and there are seasons of doubt and there are seasons of realizing that uh, it's a lot. Love holds you. You're not holding faith. Faith is kind of holding you um, in the sense of when we talk about God, for me, um, we talk about things like if I'm a Christian, what makes Christianity unique is like this idea of the Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, God, you know, the spirit. And for some people they might go, well, why does that really matter? Well, it means that God is relational within God's self and that relationship is love. And that somehow all of my experience with God is caught up not only in my own personal relationship with God, but my relationship with you. And how I love you is how I love God. <laughs> it's how I, how I experience my neighbor, my enemy, how I experience, in fact, the people that would be lowest on the totem pole is often the place where I find God. And so for me, that has been a long journey and it's a journey that continues and that I continue to learn from. And I think it's a lyric in one of your songs that says, we're not made for ourselves, but for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Which, um, it's great there, actually. I like thank that. you. Thank you. You know, I, for most of our work, it's based around, we started making, um, John and I, we started making music together. We have home videos of us when we were like babies making music, but our first band was called the Rockin' Jammers when we were seven years old. And then uh, in high school and college, we started kind of writing love songs for girls type thing. And uh, we had a, a, our own little different band. And then I went after college, uh, I worked as a youth pastor and John had gone through his own season of, um, he went to the University of Texas and he was studying composition and, and he kind of totally lost his faith. And he would probably at that time been a proclaimed atheist. And I, uh, and I was a youth pastor and I wanted to make some music around some sacred art specifically that for most of the Christian music that I had heard at that time, it would usually be something like if you, especially if you sang it in church, you wanted everyone to get this elated feeling where everyone was singing together at the top of their lungs, which is really cool. I love it. You could be at any type of concert and when everyone's singing together, there's nothing like it. It's really special. However, I was in New York um, and I was at a classical music concert. And when we heard this piece, it was a Bach piece and it ended, there was silence. And there was something about it 
where a large group of people singing is amazing, but a large group of people also being totally silent is just as powerful. It's very different. But I was finding that most of my expression of faith at that time was learning how to be more contemplative. I grew up with a faith that was pretty outward expressing. Um, And even though there is beauty to that, there were certain points that I felt like things were missing. Um, And so this music really, when we first started The Brilliance, had reflected this trying to capture a type of sacred, um, in a sense, earnest, but not earnest, uh, not meant to be trying to make you feel an emotion, but just trying to learn how to be and be still. And for us, uh, John and I made our first record like that. And then what was funny was um, we started doing music around the church calendar because I found the narrative of the church calendar to be quite robust. So speaking of things like Lent, we're in the season of Lent right now while we're recording this, but seasons like Advent, um, things that kind of help shape my own imagination around faith. And they had a lot more depth than the story that I was first given or first received. And so John was able to, even though he wasn't um, at the time, you know, a professing Christian, he kind of had gotten through his own season of that. He was really able to latch on to those narratives of bringing in, like being honest about things. And from that, uh, we started creating a lot of art and I ended up playing uh very, it feels like randomly, but I would say it's also one of those things that um, changed my life. I ended up playing in Bethlehem in Palestine uh, for a peacemaking. Uh, it was a festival, a festival for peace. And I played in front of a mostly Muslim audience and I played uh, some brilliant songs and they really connected to it. And, and then I ended up I was on tour with a guy named Matt Marr opening up, who's a dear friend and he's a Catholic brother. And I would play some of these songs and people would come up and say, we love that you're writing such great Catholic music. And I would laugh and I'd say, I'm not Catholic, but thank you. Um, But during that time, what was really being birthed was this idea that I loved writing music that brought people together, that kind of built bridges instead of walls and brought us together to where on one end, you could call that ecumenism, where you'd be like an ecumenical work would be you're bringing churches together. But even more than just churches, I loved playing in front of Muslims or playing in front of people that didn't um, consider themselves Christians and yet could latch on to a lot of the things about the art. Um, sometimes Christian art in particular gets in a place where, and I'm guilty of this as an artist a lot of times, is um, we feel like we need to say the right hot button words or need to spread the message. And it's so on the nose that what ends up happening is it loses its art. It just becomes propaganda. The thing about art that makes it unique is everyone that experiences it can have their own vantage point and their own take on it. And they become a part of it. And so I wanted to try to create art from my own background where John and I could be honest, especially about things that so much influence our lives like faith. And for us, the big thing that came about then was um, making art around peacemaking. And from peacemaking, the first part of that was, well, what does peacemaking look like for an American um, 
it looked like learning how to shut up and learning how to listen and um, taking on some ideas that really helped uh, form us. So ideas like mutual flourishing, that in peacemaking, um, it's not just about my flourishing or it's not just about one side, but what does it look like to actually have mutual flourishing? And what does it look like um, to join something which Martin Luther King Jr. would say, when you strive for beloved community, this is the community who all strive for peace. And for me, um, when you start talking about like why I'm a Christian, and I mentioned Trinitarian theology earlier, is I actually think that within the 21st century, what is discipleship looks like? It looks a lot like peacemaking. And for my own self, you know, within scripture, it says, um, blessed are the peacemaker, they're children of God. There's an idea that the children of God are at play. And what does it look like to play? And for me, it, it looks like playing music and it looks like being creative and also being creative with my relationships, um, which looks like peacemaking for me. So our entire theme as a band has moved from peacemaking and, and we, called, we had a season of protest music that then goes into a series of suites, which our first suite was around DACA dreamers, um, which dealt with how do we deal um, with what is a dream? What is something, you know, for a lot of us, when we talk about from a privileged place, when we talk about a dream. You said, you said the word DACA dreamers. What does that mean? Yeah. So, so DACA um, dreamers were uh, people in America whose parents had immigrated here. And a lot of times they had, uh, they had come here without documentation but then their kids were raised here, but they didn't have the proper papers. So maybe they're, they're, um, they were brought over as like a one-year-old child, right? And so dreamers within the American immigration um, narrative were, were people who had grown up in America, but they didn't have the, the proper paperwork. And so there was a lot of discussion uh, in American politics that I don't want to get around, but everyone tried to help dreamers from the right and the left. However, because of so much political divide, things kept on getting caught, right? Um, and so an example that I would give would be like, I, I didn't, um, when I first started this project for our first suite around DACA dreamers, we, um, we met with a, a man that was uh, around my age. So he was, uh, I think he was around 34 at the time. And he, um, he was, his whole life, all he had known was being in Newark, right, right next to where I live in, in New York, right across the river in Jersey is Newark. And he, uh, his whole dream, his whole life was to be a firefighter. And during 9-11, uh, he, had, he had witnessed um, all these people within the community rush towards the burning buildings. You know, his, his community went towards New York. The, those those types of heroes. And so in order to do that, he joined the ROTC, which is for us, it's like when you're in high school, um, it's essentially like army training where you join a club and you, you know, you do, you have a lot of discipline and you're, you're doing certain types of training. And so his goal was to go to the army and then become a, uh, a firefighter. But then his own story was while he was applying for colleges his mom then told him, actually, um, you weren't born here. You were born in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And I fled because of, 
a series of reasons. And she always worked two jobs. She was uh, an amazing mother, but it really wounded him. He got very angry with her um, because he felt like his dream was stolen. And so he uh, then went on to go to college, worked hard, but he never was able to serve in the military. And he's still trying to serve in the military because he feels so much gratitude. Now, I'm not trying to give any type of political discourse on one way or another of what it means to serve in the military or right or left type of things. All that I'm trying to say is someone's dream was to be a citizen and serve. Now, from a very privileged place, my dream is never to do that. Usually growing up, it'd be like, I want to be a football player. or I want to be, you know, whatever types of dreams you think of. And so we started talking about what are dreams. We started meeting with dreamers who were unbelievably incredible. And instead of just saying a political idea and trying to make it um, one way or the other from which political spectrum you're on, we try to just humanize people and say, do you see humanity? And on one end, when you talk about a big issue like that, one of the ways that we hold the tension in that is we say there's no idea above critique, meaning let's say that you and I are having a political discourse and we're trying to talk about it. If I hold an idea and you hold an idea, we have to be able to talk about it and critique it. But within that spectrum, the other balancing power is there's no idea above critique and there's no person below dignity. So if my critique takes away someone's dignity to where they can't even have a conversation with this or I can't see their humanity, how can we actually move forward in conversation? And so for us, we were trying to model something that was very difficult in the U.S. at the time, which was talk about immigration. And instead of just talking about it from one side or the other on policy, can we actually center the voices of the marginalized? And can we actually try to see each other's humanity and dignity? So we did our first suite around DACA Dreamers, our second suite. Is that, is that just, just uh, for people, because when you're listening, sometimes hard to work out the word. Is it D-A-C-A? Is that? Yeah. DACA Dreamers. Yeah. So the suite was called O Dreamer. And it dealt with a lot of uh, dealt with a lot of things more than just DACA. It dealt with what is a dream? What does it mean to um, be human? Um, so we uh, we ended up doing that. And when we call it a suite, the reason why it's called a suite is we mix classical music. John is a composer. Um, and so we mix classical music in as well and themes. Um, with so some of the music is instrumental it's not all sung and then our second suite that we did was around uh which we used a full orchestra for was around um the world keeps spinning we called it and it was around existentialism and specifically around if you were going to say that second fold path of you know when you when you talk about um illumination or you talk about deconstruction or antithesis or within the faith tradition they call it um, transcendence. When you're in that zone of trying to be like, is the world ending? It looks, we see right now we're getting out of hopefully knock on wood. We're, we're still in the pandemic, but we're, we're trying to see ways forward of getting out of this. Right. But we also had um, within that season of, it felt like so much turmoil. We are in, you know, Ukraine and Russia are in a war. There's all types of violence all around the world. There's all types of dissension and non-peace, right? It feels like topsy-turvy. And so The World Keeps Spinning was really a, a look at, at what is our human condition and story. And it was a suite around that. And then um, for this third suite that we're working on, 
um, this next album that we're putting out will actually be, um, in a sense, it's our synthesis of this, you know, which is, um, it's a love, it's a love uh, album of why do we keep going on? And the reason why we keep going on is I see the people that I love and we're going to hand them a world that um, is one that's out of love, which if you were going to say from a faith perspective, it's like, that's what God is. God is love. Often when I, when I say to um, my kids, I've got four kids um, for each one of them, when we talk about God, we can have things that we talk about, you know, God in general, but we also try to get specific about the way that they can approach God at their age. So for my boys who are seven and 11, I'll say, um, what does it mean to be a little man right now? Like an existential question. And what does it mean? Yeah. And they say, um, they say, love God and respect women because <laughs> they've got two sisters and their mom. I go, that's pretty good. What is that? What does that mean to you? Love God looks like, and they, they talk about their relationship with their friends and their family and themselves. And the reason why it's important for them to respect women right now is they're in the season of, you know, they still want to pinch their sisters or get in fights all the time or be disobedient. And we have to learn what does it mean right now when I respect my mom, when I respect my sisters, I'm actually loving God. Um, and I'm connecting the ways and my actions to my entire spiritual being. And so instead of just thinking, I believe this and therefore, you know, that's over there, belief is over there and actions are here is actually, well, your beliefs are connected to who you are, your actions of how you love God. How can you say, you know, in scripture, how can you say you love God and yet you hate your neighbor? You treat this person like this. Yeah. Is that actually the way that we love each other is the way that we actually love the divine. And so that for our family is, is, a, is a process of spirituality. Wow. Okay, so that, I didn't know you had four kids. I can imagine that would keep you very busy. But I'm a, how about you also studying at the same time as everything else? I, I am, yes. I'm in my last, uh, last class of grad school, and I'll graduate with a master's of theology, uh, and a, specifically um, with an emphasis on peacemaking. Okay. So I'm, I've got to say, I talk to quite a lot of different artists. You do seem like maybe one of the deeper thinkers um, amongst the people I've spoken with. And I, I, I think um, that makes it very interesting because uh, you said lots of things that lots of other people haven't necessarily said. And one of the things interesting, you talked about your music and making your music so that I guess many more people can engage in it rather than just purely a Christian audience. Uh, and it, it feels like it's a thinker's album. Um, if I look at World Keeps Spinning, you don't have to think to enjoy it because it works beautifully just as a piece of, of music. But actually at the same time, there's an awful lot of content within it and the lyrics within it, which you can engage with and actually go away and really have a good chew on. So I'm, I'm guessing that's an overflow of the fact you're quite a deep thinker. May I ask you a personal question, David? So yeah, of when I've talked with deep thinkers, deep thinkers also sometimes struggle, not, not just with like, things like doubt and all that sort of thing, but on, often with things where depression becomes problems because they just cycle into too much thinking and things become hard. Is that something that's ever been a feature for you or not particularly? You know, that, that's a wonderful question. Um, yeah, I think, so I, I do deal with depression. And I do deal with um, a lot of 
how would I put that? I, I think that for every artist and for every person that does something creative, one of the things that we have to remind ourselves is that um, we are not our gift. And talent or, and I'm not trying to say, oh, I'm so talented, but whatever you do, if you find yourself as a carpenter or you find yourself as a poet or you find yourself as whatever you do, is that sometimes with gifts of when you're talented at something and you work on your talent is your ego can kind of make it become who you are. And if in a sense, you'd be like, you know, you can have really pretty fingernails, but if you let your fingernails grow unchecked, they can get a little gnarly. <laughs> and yeah. for your ego, if you let your gifts go to a place to where you think you are hot stuff or you're such a deep thinker, or you're such that, what, what can end up happening is it actually can kind of tarnish your, your soul, um, the, the being of who you are as far as things go. So I, for all of my music, the nice thing is um, I try to surround myself with people who are more talented than me. Um, and I try to surround myself with people. Um, everything is relational for music. I grew up with brothers. My older brother, Michael, has a band called Gunger. And my brother, Rob, is a band called Wilderman. Um, they're both incredibly talented musicians. And when I was growing up, uh, I, want, I was more, I played sports, but I wanted to hang out with my brothers. So I'd say, uh, hey, how do I, what, like, can I play with you? And I got stuck playing bass was my first instrument. And uh, I said, I said, how do I get my bass to stop buzzing? And, you know, I had older brothers. They'd say, learn how to not suck. <laughs> and I'd, I'd have to like sit there and listen to old albums and try to learn how to do bass licks and fills and, you know, listening to old funk albums and trying to become a better bass player. But then the older I got and the more proficient I got at bass, it was really beautiful to actually play music with my brothers. And it was one of those things where music was just a language. And I really think that that language, when shared, a beautiful thing about being a musician is you share these experiences that bring so much life to you. And for brilliance, as far as like our band goes, it's really just a big family. Um, my wife plays violin. John is my best friend. He's the, you know, he's uncle to my kids. Um, and my kids, a lot of times I, I'll have them sing. I'm bringing my daughter with me to Big Church Day Out. And you'll notice that we're, we actually, um, you know, one of the things that we're doing for Big Church Day Out is we ask, we're having um, people, if they play any type of symphonic instrument, to submit uh, an audition video. And really, it's like, you know, uh, they don't have to be amazing, but they have to be somewhat, you know, they can read music and, and hold a tune. But if they play flute or they play oboe or they play trumpet or they play any instrument within the orchestra, we're asking them to join us. And part of that is because I don't think the brilliance is just me and it's not just John. It's actually something that's relational and the art is relational. And so for me, when you talk about, um, when you talk about like the, the angst, what brings me a lot of peace within the angst is sharing the angst and is sharing it, not holding it with myself. Because when I just try to hold it myself, I do get a lot more anxiety and I do get a lot more, um, it's not that I live in New York city. So it's a, I'm a glutton for punishment because it's, it's like a, a total uh, Russian novel. And that you'd say it's the best of times and the worst of times at all times. I'm sure it's the similar thing in London where you're like, it's the best, you know, I'm going to speak to London because I, I, I don't want to compare London and New York, but London is one of the only cities that you could compare to New York and say, 
it's the best. It's the best. And it's also the worst. Like you're like, there's so many things about it and there's that angst. And for some reason for me and for my own soul creatively, I like to be in that tension. I like the place of angst. I like the place of darkness. So often when I'm creating or I'm exploring faith, I'm one of those people that likes to be on the fringes um, because, you know, within, um, within biology, and I, I don't want to, I'm not a biologist, but one of the things that I really like within the theory of biology is this theory of edge effect, which is when you get into two uh, totally different types of um, places where you could be like on the Amazon meets a totally different climate and culture, the place where it meets is there's the most growth because you have two totally different types of biospheres joining together and there's all types of growth and vegetation. So that place out there creatively for me is what I love. I love the relational aspect of having people from different backgrounds and beliefs and faiths and worldviews. And I like that place where somehow we're, we're having a space together and there's a, a lot of times a lot of different types of growth that comes from that. Wow. I, I actually almost don't know what questions to ask. I'm just fascinated just listening to you. That's um that's <laughs> lovely. It's amazing. And um I, I and actually quite interesting because very opposite to some of the process that other people have shared with me where they'll go and get themselves in a room with Christians who are living within the same town it's I'm gonna say Nashville, just for example, and and they're inside the Christian bubble uh, largely the whole time because that's their working uh, ethos. And whereas it sounds like you actually like a little bit more being on, on the edge so that you can pick up stuff from both sides. Yeah. And it's not about, I think the dualism imagination says there are sides and then eventually you go, Oh wait, there are no sides. It's all the same thing. Like there is something where like those sides are, but it's the same coin. Yeah. So you'd say, you know, you'd be like, well, what is the side? What is the thing? And so from that, I, I have respect for those types of people that can go in the bubble. And in a sense, you can kind of say there are times where it's a monastic imagination where you'd say, I need to retreat from the world, get in my bubble because I need to save myself from the chaos that is. Um, and then there are times where you feel like you need to go out into the world just completely and not be in the bubble because you feel like the bubble is, is driving you crazy. And that's where I'd say that threefold path comes along of you say, there are, there are times and seasons for everything. And so if people find themselves having life right now in the bubble, stay in the bubble and realize that you're probably going to be called out of the bubble. And if you're totally outside the bubble and you're like, I can't handle Christians right now, I can't handle church language, that Christianese thing. I'm tired of worship music. I'm tired of Christian music. It all has this homogenous sound. Like get outside of it. That's fine. You're okay. But then realize you're probably going to find yourself having a moment in life of synthesis where things come back together because life has got a lot of humor and a lot of divine tragedy comedy things to it that uh, I would say hold an open hand. And don't try to have a closed fist around your experience of creation or relationship or faith. Wow. Now, the next song that we're going to play, I've got to say, is a title we wouldn't normally come across because I think normally we get songs that would say, Give Me Faith. But your song is called Give Me Doubt. Yeah. 
tell me about the song. What's it all about? How did how did it happen? Yeah. So there's two sides of the coin to this song. I'll tell my side because John has a side and I have a side. Uh, my side of the story with this was I got invited uh, with a delegation to Rome to go meet with Pope Francis with a group of about 30 people. And so we went to the Vatican and when we met with Pope Francis, um, he talked about the great enemy of faith, not being doubt, but being certainty because specifically within the work that we were doing, I was with a group uh of ecumenical pastors trying to come together. And, you know, when we all have these differences of ways that we view faith, if you're so certain about a view, you, you can't budge at all. I can't see your humanity. All I see is the way that you're wrong. And so when you look at things like religious violence, which I would, I would argue is what we would say is taking the Lord's name in vain. Taking the Lord's name in vain is not saying, oh my God, because you couldn't say the Lord's name, you know, in the Old Testament. What taking the Lord's name in vain meant within that realm was doing something in the name of God, which was violent, which was anti-God. So when you do violence in the name of God, if you're talking about in any faith tradition, um, from Judaism to, um, to obviously Christians or to our Muslim brothers and sisters, Anytime someone does something in the name of God of violence, they take God's name in vain. And I think that that is the enemy of faith. And to go do an, a violent act in the name of God, you have to be certain that that's what God wants. And so within religious violence, what I would say is this, there's a, a lyric within that that says, give me doubt so I can see my neighbor. Now, the reason why I say see my neighbor is because to me, the ultimate sign of Christian discipleship is the ability to see. So every time you have Jesus doing all these miracles, why is he always healing the blind? Why is he always talking about this? Or talking about, can you see the poor? Can you see the, the ability to see is the high Christian watermark of faith. So give me doubt that I may see my neighbor as myself. Give me doubt that I may lay my weapons on the, on the ground. Because when the armor of God is too heavy for peace, give me doubt. Meaning we, we often talk about like the shield of faith or we talk about the sword, you know, we've got all these uh, military language that, that Paul was brilliant on because he's in, you know, in Roman occupation, you're talking about something more like he, the Christian story is you're not cutting off ears, you're healing ears. So our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's against all the powers of violence. And yet, if our enemy has flesh and blood, that's not who we're fighting against. That's who we're fighting for. But the question is, how do you fight? Do you fight with violence? Violence begets violence. No, no, no. You fight with love. You fight with forgiveness. You fight with healing ears, not cutting them off. So within that perspective, if I was going to say the faith tradition, remember I talked about the threefold path, I'd say purification, illumination, union. When I talk about that, and I say, there is an aspect of faith that is building. And there's an aspect of faith that on the other side of the coin is doubt. And within that, I go, faith still goes on beyond doubt. It's something that you'd say, without doubt, there is no faith. So imagine me saying, faith can say, move the mountain, right? A lot of times when we, when we hear that phrase from scripture, 
Well, if we thought it was easy to move the mountain, why would we need faith? Why do you need faith if you have certainty? You don't. You have to have doubt in order to have faith. And so within that context, specifically around the, the theme of peacemaking again, then I'd say, give me doubt so I can see my neighbor as myself. Because if I only have certainty, I can't see my neighbor as myself. I have to be able to hold my views, just as I said earlier, every idea, like every idea, there's no idea that can't be critiqued. It has to be able to be critiqued. But within that view, the next line of the, of the, the song goes, what, what is my courage now? What, what is my courage? So what be my courage now? My shield from evil. Because if I felt like I dropped my shield of faith or I'm doing that, like what's going to protect me? And then I say, love be my courage now. I shall not fear because love casts out fear. Our thing is not to be afraid of the other. If we only have a faith that makes us feel like we have to protect ourselves from the big bad other, then we don't get the concept of what love is. Love is laying down our arms. Love is actually looking at our neighbor and saying, here you go. Here is my coat. Here, I'll walk the extra mile with you. And when you do that for the neighbor, you do that for Christ. That's who you find. That's where you find God in the darkness, in the doubt. It's okay. God is there. Even if I make my bed in hell, the psalmist says, you are there. Give me doubt so I can see my neighbor as myself. Give me doubt so I can lay all my weapons on the ground. When the armor of God is to And that was Give Me Doubt by The Brilliance. And I'm very pleased to say that David Gungor is still with us here for the artist interview on Hope FM, also on our partner stations worldwide. David, thank you so much for all you've shared, really from your heart, and for that track we just uh, played. It'd be lovely if you're happy to pray right now for listeners. I'm sure there's lots of people listening who maybe already have doubts and are struggling with things. And so it's an interesting thing to say, Give Me Doubt. It'd be great if you could pray that just just God would come and touch people in this moment. Yeah. I think what I would like to do is invite people to pray with me. And we can do that by first just breathing together, which sounds funny at first. You think breathing, I'm already breathing. But just for a moment, slow your breath down and take a big, deep breath in. And as you exhale, exhale about twice as long. And realize that as you breathe in, breathe in God's mercy. And as you exhale, exhale any type of fear or anxiety you might be feeling. And know it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, which is a reshaping of our mind. When we turn to God and we say, how can I see the world differently? How can I see it as you see it? And so what I ask is at this moment, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe new life into us, into our hearts. We ask that you would fill us with your peace, with your mercy and your kindness. And God, we ask that we at this moment 
would be filled with these things so that we could go into the world and love as you loved. So we ask to first start with our relationships. We think of our family, of our friends, of our coworkers. We ask that you would bless them. And we ask that you would help us love well. And help us repent of any ways in which we haven't loved well. And then, Lord, we ask uh, for our world, for the things that we feel like are beyond our control, which may give us anxiety and stress, things like war right now, things like the economy, things like famine, things like water, the crisis of water around the world. And God, we ask that you would help us not give up, but we cry Hosanna. You say, Lord, save us, help us, and help us to be your hands and feet to not get stuck on the worry. But Lord, help us be creative and somehow get excitement and life and joy out of being your hands and feet and learning how to play in the world through peacemaking, through acts of justice and mercy, and through shining your light. So we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, David. Really appreciate it. I'm sure people at home did too. Um, if you're listening and you're thinking, wow, this is a deep conversation about Jesus and God. I don't really understand it or I'm not even sure who Jesus is. Then I just encourage you to go to www.findachurch.co.uk. If you're listening in the UK, there are thousands of churches that would love to welcome you and help you know more about God's love. And if you're listening elsewhere in the world, then contact your station and just say, is there a church that you could recommend that I could explore faith for myself? So we're recording this in April 2022, but coming up very shortly is Europe's biggest Christian music festival, Big Church Day Out. And I know that you guys are coming there for the very first time. So could I just ask, do you know anything about it? Have you seen the videos of it online? You know, I, I have seen the videos and it looks so epic. And the fun thing is we're going to be playing a new stage called, I think it's called the Garden Stage. And we're going to be playing a brand new stage with a lot of people. We're hoping, you know, we've done this in the past where um, I played a music festival in New Zealand uh, that was amazing. And we had a, a, a large orchestra play with us. I would love if there was a hundred people that were with us on stage where we, where you're going, I've done this at universities and different things where we invite people to join us. And it's so epic to be able to share our music and have other people involved and then see their friends out in the audience or family. And it's really a communal experience. And so for us, um, we love the UK. We love everything about the heart of big church day out. Uh, it really lines up with, a lot of what our ethos is, you heard, we, we like bringing people together from differences and from different backgrounds. And from what I know, it's a, uh, you know, people from all around the UK come from different church backgrounds and they come together and it's just a lot of love and a lot of giving and a lot of um, friendship in a really amazing way. And so we want our music to reflect Big Church Day Out wow. and we want it to reflect that type of love and 
uh, relationship and giving. And so we're inviting people to join us uh, and they can do so by just um, filling out a video application, sending it in. We're going to have a rehearsal beforehand. They end up getting to uh, come to Big Church Day Out and join us for uh, for the festival. It'll be a lot of fun. That is such a great invitation. Just any orchestra instrument. What about drums? Is that an orchestra instrument or not? It is an orchestra instrument. Oh, yeah. Now, we'll probably do it more orchestra style instead of like 10 drum sets. You know, we might have some timpani. We might have some snares. We might have some, you know, different types of things like that. But we're making the first ever Big Church Day Out Orchestra, and we're, we're super excited I'm, about it. I'm, you see, I'm intrigued about the Garden Stage then because even the main stage, and it's big, don't get me wrong, the main stage is big, but I'm thinking, how do you fit 100 people on there? You know, I we're, we're creative, and we might have to put people on the ground. We might ourselves have to be on it. Whatever we're going to do, we're, we're going to do it to where we're saying the more the merrier, and we're really excited about, um, you know, a lot of our music, it's written John as a composer. And so the fun thing is, um, we've done this in the past, and someone might say, I'm an oboe player. And we might have four different oboes and different uh, levels of oboe. So John will specifically create the music just for this one-time event where he writes it in. And if it's a really great player, he might make it a more complicated part. If it's someone that's like um, high school level proficiency, you know, where they, they played oboe in high school and they still can carry the tune and read music, he'll do a simpler part. However, it's all written out for them. And we, we create the music for the band that we have. <laughs> I'm just staggered. That's amazing. I, I, and what's interesting about your invitation, though, is I'm going to assume that it, it could be people from any faith could come and join in this particular thing because you're welcoming everybody. Every, any faith as well as any age. You know, you might be a, a 75-year-old grandma that can really play the flute well still. And we say, come on, grandma, we are ready to rock. We will soft rock people's faces off. <laughs> I I am absolutely 100% going to be there for your performance. I, I've, I've got no idea who else it might clash with, but I am going to make sure that I get to see the brilliance because I think this is going to be absolutely epic. Um, so if people do want to connect with you, if people want to submit a video, how, how do they go about doing that and, and how soon do you need it? So they can go to the Big Church Day Out website and they can submit there. They also can submit from our website. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We've got links in our bios. Uh, that is The Brilliance Music. Um, or else you can go to thebrilliancemusic.com and submit your application there. Wow. And as okay. far as when you can do that, we are... Uh, I don't, I don't want to give a deadline for that. I don't exactly know, but I know that we will up to the last minute that we possibly can still have uh, people join as long as they are there for the rehearsals, we are, we will make it work. And we'll, they, if they sign up and through the application and it all goes through, then they'll get all the details via email for where to be when. Okay. Well, I, I'm tempted to apply myself. Um, oh, what I'm, do you play now? Well, I'm, the triangle. The only I like point, it. Yes. The only point, yeah, I don't, my, I, the only thing I need to probably practice is my timing. Otherwise, I think yeah. I'll be quite good. You know, I also wouldn't mind at least on one song to say, I need more cowbell. And you come out <laughs> with a little cowbell and just yeah. rock it. <laughs> uh, that'd be awesome. Yes. Okay. So um, so definitely tempted to, to get a cowbell now. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to some of the best names in contemporary Christian music. This is the Hope FM Artist interview so can you tell me you mentioned about being a peacemaker i i don't know exactly what a peacemaker 
does um, in in your definition and context of it. So you travelled around the world to various different places. Uh, how does one operate as a peacemaker? That that is a wonderful question. That would be. I wish we could talk the whole interview about that. Uh, peacemaking is about crossing lines of difference. And when you are a peacemaker, you don't own peace yourself. You are there as a learner and you're there as someone that's holding space. And you are there as someone that is trying to strive for mutual flourishing. And so when you enter a conflict, an area of conflict, um, the first thing that you are there to do is, is learn to listen and learn to hold competing truths. So if you are in conflict with another person, both of you have truths to your side of the story. Not, neither of you own the full truth, right? You have, you have your experience of what the conflict is. And yet there are aspects and pain involved and trauma involved and all different types of things that as a peacemaker, um, you are striving for a world of justice and shalom. Now, from a Christian worldview, who, who does justice belong to? God. <laughs> justice belongs to God. And yet, um, we are to be people who strive for justice. And what does justice look like in the present form? It usually looks like um, mercy, and it usually looks like being people of shalom and, and of peace. And so that is something that is muscular. It is not, so we're committed to nonviolence. Nonviolence does not just mean like pacifist and it does not mean, um, it, it does not mean you're just um, whatever goes. In fact, nonviolence is, as MLK would talk about it, or like these creative acts of resistance towards violence. So um, for us, uh, for the brilliance, we follow a path. There's an organization called the Telos Group in America, and it's also based in, we have, uh, our organization was started from, uh, in America, from two men who come from totally different backgrounds. One was a guy named Todd Deathridge, who worked for the State Department under George W. Bush and was in peace negotiations with Israel and Palestine. And then the other is a Orthodox, um, he's, his family is Palestinian. He was born in Palestine, but then he, his family, uh, his dad was an amazing professor and biblical scholar. Um, and his mom was an archaeologist and they were at the University of Chicago and then they were in San Diego. And then during the summers, they would go back and see family in Palestine. And, and Greg Khalil is his name, ended up going uh, to Harvard Law School, was a lawyer, and then ended up being on the peace negotiations for uh, the Palestinian Authority. And then when all of that fell apart, um, Greg was in DC and he was talking to Todd and said, you know, so much of the conflict in um, Israel and Palestine specifically, a lot of times the church is not helpful towards this conflict. It actually helps kind of ignite it more. And so they started doing uh, these pilgrimages to, um, to Israel and Palestine, where instead of just going to a, a Bible, you know, a place where you'd say, this was an event that happened in the Bible, a, a amazing space, sacred space, but a lot of times people don't meet the people who actually live there. <laughs> it's kind of like a Christian Disney World experience. 
and there's a lot of pain and suffering and there's a lot of things happening. And so they, they would go over and they are totally committed to um, a pro, pro, pro type of experience, which sounds very odd, but it's pro-Palestinian, pro-Israeli, pro-peace. And so they do not, you meet with every different type of person you could meet with involved in um in the conflict from Israeli settlers to different members of the parliament, to military advisors, to all different types of people. The same thing on um, the Palestinian side, where you meet with Palestinian Christian families and Palestinian Christians. Um, you meet with uh, Muslim sheikhs, you meet with different Palestinian authority, business leaders, you meet, you go to refugee camps. You also meet with a group called the Parent Circle, which is an incredible organization of bereaved parents who say, we need this conflict to end. So it is uh, people within this organization of the Parent Circle. Um, the members are people who have lost family members and they meet together to share their stories with the other. And from this, you would be astounded to hear how much peace and reconciliation and amazing stories of people coming together to fight violence. And it's called the Parent Circle. And so uh, this organization has been around for over 10 years. They've been leading trips to the Holy Land. They started leading trips. One of the big things that came about was when we talk about reconciliation and peacemaking, not just looking to the places um, you know, on the other side of the world that have conflict, but what's in your own backyard. And so racial conflict within America, we have a trip to the American South that explores the history of slavery, as well as Jim Crow, as well as the civil rights movement. So it starts in New Orleans and it moves through Louisiana and through Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia. And uh, so we have a trip to the American South. And then we also have peacemakers that we have learned from actually across the pond in Ireland and Northern Ireland from different members of people who are, who are peacemakers on the ground, as well as South Africa, learning from people um, who dealt with apartheid and different types of things where all these different types of conflict, which are all unique conflicts that are not the same, but you meet people who dealt with that trauma and who actually have done such amazing life-changing, world-changing things by being faithful to their communities and being peacemakers. And often those are people of faith. Um, and so we lead an organization um, that leads trip delegations to that. And then we also have an artist cohort that goes on these trips and a pastor's cohort, um, as well as uh, a th we lead, uh, we have a podcast called, um, so for Tell Us, it's, um, we have a thing called the check-in, which goes over uh, different uh, headlines and through the lens of our practical practices and principles of peacemaking. So we kind of take a look at the headlines of what does it mean to be a peacemaker in, the, in this time. And then we also have a podcast that I host called Undaunted, which is uh, interviews with radical peacemakers um, who are all around the world that do incredible things. Wow. That sounds like an amazing podcast. So it's called Undaunted um, uh, by David Gungle. Where, where would we find tell it? Us. Yeah. So you can find it anywhere you download your podcast. So tell us is T E L O S. And our Tell Us channel will host both podcasts, Undaunted and The Check-In. Um, and then uh, for those who are interested in our, practice, our practices and principles of peacemaking, you can go to tellusgroup.org. So that's T-E-L-O-S group.org. Group.org, yep. Okay, brilliant. I've got to say, it sounds fascinating. Um, 
as a slight aside, you, you mentioned yeah. that you met the Pope, Pope Francis, as part yes. of your peacemaking thing. Uh, there's a question that I've heard many people ask about the Pope. Um, it, well, I've never asked, never why they ask this, but is, is the Pope a Catholic? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I thought he was. I don't know why you keep asking. That's, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, but, but I have got a serious question. I have got a serious question about that. My actual question, I, I, I know he is a Catholic. My actual question is, when you left from meeting with the Pope, what were the things that you most took away from that meeting? I don't think I've ever met someone that inspired me so much to who Jesus is, is after I met the Pope. Um, he, he started off the meeting so I'm involved, first of all, how I got to meet his, him is I'm involved with another organization called John 17, which is a, a, a movement within um, the Catholic Church and Evangelical Church of trying to do come together around may the church be one. And so Pope Francis has, um, has met with many evangelical leaders and um, many Protestant leaders. And what he did for our group, the first thing he did was he apologized, which felt so odd and awkward because he's never done anything to me. But he apologized on behalf of the Catholic Church towards ways that evangelicals have been treated by the Catholic Church. And he showed so much humility and so much grace and kindness and mercy. And he embodied this type of love. And um, from there, he gave us a book. He prayed over us. He blessed us. We got to ask him questions. He stayed with us for a couple hours, and it was really an amazing experience. Now, the pastor that I work with, Michael Rudzina, here in New York City, is a big part of John 17, and he has gone back a few times. And I think this year, we, if we're lucky enough to have things come about, we'll get to go back again and visit with him. But every time that John 17 meets, um, it's really a unique thing because you have reformed Christians, you have liberal Christians, you have very conservative Christians, you have Catholics. And within that, there's a lot of diversity. And instead of focusing on all of our differences, we try to focus on what brings us together, which is Jesus, the person of Jesus, which we would call the son of God. Um, that is, you know, when, when you say that, um, for us, it's been something that has brought so much life and imagination to our faith. Um, and so I'm, I have nothing but gratitude for it. Wow. What an opportunity. What an astounding thing to, I, I've, I've never met the Pope, but I think I would like to meet the Pope. I think. Yes. I think you would love, you would love the Pope. Just the amount of humility and grace. I can't, I, I cannot speak high enough about, about, uh, the character of the person wow. that I met. Okay. So, David, what's what's going on at the moment? Because you, obviously, you your last album was in twenty twenty. Um, yeah. Have we got a new album that you've been working on during lockdown? Where are things up to? Yeah. So I over lockdown, um, I started a thing called the Good Shepherd Music Collective, which was essentially we had to do we couldn't meet in our churches in person because of COVID, so we started meeting digitally and um, Good Shepherd is the church that I'm a part of. I started a music collective with a lot of brilliance family and uh, a lot of musicians who are involved with that, a lot of gospel artists, a lot of different things. And so I put out a lot of music through this thing called the Good Shepherd Music Collective. 
and we're continuing to do things. I just, I hosted a thing um, just a couple last week. I got back from a thing called band camp. It was the fourth band camp that I've done since the pandemic where I brought in, we went, we flew to El Paso and I brought in about 30 different musicians and we recorded uh, 80 songs over 12 days um, where I've got three different, yeah, I had three different studios going all day, 17 hours. We just record all these songs. So I, all different types of songs. So from those band camps, I have recorded a new brilliance record um, that in fact, we are going to debut a song off of our new record on that. And this record um, really deals with reasons to keep going. So from, I told you, and you had asked a, astute question earlier about um about how to deal with like um anxiety and depression and those types of things and for me it does not mean whenever you're treating um mental illness and and different um types of sickness um it shouldn't be stigmatized and that's why i really appreciate you talking about it um but one of the things is you have to be able to share it and you have to not do it alone. And so reasons to keep going on were for me, it looked like what are the reasons I want to make music right now? And a, a while ago, Brilliance made a record called for our children. That's a kid's album. And I, I really loved doing it. It was just like, I don't know, like five or six songs around each one of my kids got a song. And then I had a couple extra songs for the kids on there. And I really wanted to make an album that, um, was around my relationship with my wife and our own struggles and our own feeling right now. But then I come from there, but, but John is not married. And so as a songwriter, he comes from a totally different place of anxiety and love. And then just as I talked about that threefold path of the last one being union, there's, there's something about allegory where a lot of the songs you're like, are you talking about God here? Are your faith? Are you talking about like, what are you talking about? And there's no clear answer for depending on who's talking at what point you, there's a lot of different places you can come in with it. You know, that's what I, I mentioned this earlier, but if we, the art pieces that I feel like last, like if we were going to talk about the Mona Lisa, when you look at the Mona Lisa, the reason why it's lasted is because it's not just like a perfect painting at all. In fact, some would argue that it was not finished. There are parts of it. But you can look at it and say, I think she's sad. And someone else can say, I think she's pretty. And someone say, this is so overrated. And whatever place you're coming from, you can engage the art. And so I wanted to do something on reasons to keep living specifically around themes of love and our relationships of love. And that can be friendship or um, you know, partnership or whatever that is. And, and instead of just having clear cut love songs, one of the things that I find within faith is that I've moved from a place of just always saying, you know, there were certain Christian cliches that I had growing up. Like we would say, Jesus is the answer. And instead of saying Jesus is the answer, I've kind of grown to go, well, Jesus is the question. Who is Jesus? When I look at who is Jesus, it responds, well, Jesus is the son of God, but it's also humanity. To be fully human, you have to look at Jesus. To be fully God, you have to look at Jesus. So Jesus, instead of becoming the answer, becomes the question of who is God and who is mankind. And so for me, that thing of going, well, is my music leading to a question or is it just leading to an answer that's just final? And for me, this next single that you're about to hear is a question. 
which is, do you want to feel it? Do you feel it in your soul anymore? Do you want to feel it? And you can say, well, this is definitely about faith. And then there's also an aspect to it that's definitely about being really stressed out, being stressed out money-wise and having four kids and being in the city going, should we be here right now? Is this what we should be doing? What What are we even doing anymore? And so you feel that angst within this. Well, Dave, what an extraordinary uh, reason for making an album. Uh, all about your relationship with your wife and John with his relationship, not with his wife, but actually in the mix of it, the, the two of you. Yeah, well, and, and, it, and, and relationship, that's why I say also relationship with yeah. God and each other and just relationships. So it's less about one single thing and more about how do you relate to the other? And specifically, when your close relationships, when your close friendships feel like they're fraying, what do you hold on to? Why do you keep going? Well, let's hear that track right now. This is the world exclusive first play of Feel It. Thank you so very much, Dave, for joining us for the artist interview. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me. And please uh, know that we would love to see you at Big Church Day Out and we would love to play some music with you. And uh, we're just so grateful for you all. Thank you to Hope FM and thank you so much, Gordon. the brand new track from The Brilliance and it was called Feel It. And thank you so very much to David Gungor from The Brilliance for joining us on The Artist Interview, a podcast from Hope FM also available on our partner stations worldwide. And there are many more interviews from such a wide variety of artists with many stories to share and some fantastic music as well. And you can look those up on your favorite podcast platform, uh, search up The Artist Interview. Thanks so much for joining me. Look forward to being with you for the next episode. God bless. Talking to some of the best names in contemporary Christian music. This is the Hope FM Artist Interview.